Hi there, welcome to VMware WAG. I think that's where I'm calling these ones where I managed to corner one of my fellow colleagues and bombard them with, with questions. It's it's actually a little bit harder than you think because often I've got the, the time zone to uh, consider. And also um, a lot of my colleagues are very busy doing real work <laughs> and simply don't have time to yak on a podcast because they've got real customers and real problems to to fix so it's actually been a little bit trickier to to get people on than i first imagined but i am i am slowly working my way through the fifteen thousand or whatever it is employees trying to get everybody on the podcast so uh with me today i've got somebody who uh hails from my neck of the woods so uh apologies to any americans listening in who might think we're both scottish <laughs> believe it or not on two vmworld presentations i've had feedback that says Really good presentation, but couldn't understand the Scottish accent. And that would be a little bit difficult because I'm not Scottish and neither is my, my friend here on the line. But anyway, I'm rabbiting on too much. David, David Hill, can you uh, say hello to everybody and just introduce yourself? Who, who are you? Where are you from? Where are you? What is it that you do for VMware? Yeah, so um, I'm David Hill, Senior Solutions Architect at VMware. Um, hail from Mike's neck of the woods up in Middlesbrough in the northeast of England, hence my tragic accent. <laughs> uh, I now work for VMware out in Palo Alto. I relocated last year. Um, I'm currently working for the services and solutions engineering team within, uh, here's some more acronyms, GTS, which is Global Technology Solutions. So. Um, for the past six months, I've been involved in developing some of the service kits to help the PSO consultants go and deliver engagements and what they need for their day-to-day -day jobs. Um, been with VMware for about three years, originally joined VMware into the cloud practice, um, along with some of my other fellow colleagues like Duncan Epping, uh, Aidan Dalgleish, people like that. So we were the original team within VMware that was developing the vCloud director marketplace. All right. so it's been a pretty cool few years, so crazy ride. So I mean out of curiosity, is it vCloud director that you're still focused on? Are you taking in the whole suite now? Yeah, so um, my product set has kind of changed now into um, the cloud infrastructure management space, so I cover everything from vCloud director vCloud Automation Center, um, VC Ops, all those kind of products as well. So it grew just from just outside of vCloud Director, which is one of the central components, to a larger product set as VMware's product set's grown over the past few years as well. So here I am thinking, oh, I've got all these other things to learn as well as vCloud Director, and now I've got somebody I can harass with all my questions. <laughs> yeah, well, it's still a learning curve for all of us at the moment. Um, the, the, there's some interesting challenges, um, um, obviously, with the, the vCloud suite coming out and the integration of all these different products. Um, when I joined, it was basically vCloud Director, um, Chargeback, and, and vSphere. And now it's grown and grown, and we have vSphere, Chargeback, VCO, um, we've got obviously Automation Center. Um, we've got all the vCloud APIs and vCNS and it's the, the components that go together now to build a cloud are, are growing substantially. Sure. I mean, one of the things I've been working on in the last couple of days is getting our vCNS Edge Gateway, which supports load balancing, 
to be the yeah. load balancer for my VMware view environment. Yeah. Um, which is all kind of new to me because I was doing load balancing with other technologies. So it's quite interesting to have have a look at what we're doing. Of course, it's all all included. Whereas yeah. previously, I was having to use Juniper this and F5 this to do some of the stuff. I'm doing it all with our own stuff. But we mentioned uh, the Cloud Director, and I've got a kind of softball question for Dave, which is what for you are the standout aspects of the Cloud Director itself? Because I've got in my own mind, when I've been playing around with it for the last six months, what, what to me, I think, yes, I really love this. But what I might love and what other people might love could be different things. So I'm interested to know what you, when you look at the Cloud Director, what is it that makes you go, yeah, that that's a standout thing for us. Yeah, so I guess, I guess the first thing um, that you need to talk about when you when you're looking at vCloud Director is its its ability as a product to abstract the vSphere layer. So without trying to sound like a marketing guy, um, <laughs> you know the what, what makes it really great is you can put together a, a virtual environment and then have consumers that come in that don't really understand infrastructure but need um, some VMs or some lab environment, for example, and they just want to stand these up without caring about, oh, I don't know what type of storage I need, how many VLANs I need. They just want to come along and say, right, I want three Linux VMs that connect across these two different networks, you know, and that's, that's one of the great things that I found when I first started working with vCloud Director is it's the ease of use for just a consumer to come in and just basically point and click from a predefined catalog and just deploy what they need. Mm. Um, lots of people were, were looking at doing this. Um, I worked for Credit Suisse before I joined VMware out in Switzerland, and they were, um, funnily enough, doing it with Dynamic Ops. Um, so I've kind of gone full circle now. <laughs> um, but they, they were looking at doing a similar kind of internal private cloud for their development environments, just allowing their, their Linux developers to just come in, spin up VMs when they wanted, do whatever they wanted, and then they could kind of forget about it. And um, obviously with lease times and things, they would just eventually disappear. Whereas traditionally with vSphere, you have... Like they would have to put in a ticket to request the VMs. The admin would then have to go and deploy from a template, which, again, isn't isn't a particularly difficult task. But you know, you've got all that workflow internally with tickets and it going to different teams when they could just do it themselves. Um, and and to me, that that's the key thing. And and the great thing about cloud is the fact that you can just deploy on demand when you need. Mm. I use um, Personally, um, I'm going to do a bit of a plug here, which is shameless, but uh, a company called Vertical, um, they're part of um, VMware's vCloud-powered data center program. Mm. Uh, I use them for hosting my blog and things, and, and it's really cool because I've created a template for my blog site, and if I want to do any testing or try new themes, I can just deploy from a catalog and spin up my blog really quickly deploy a new theme to it and I can play around without actually affecting my live blog. But you, you know what a real plug would be, would be is if you told us what the, the name of your blog was, that would be a real plug. <laughs> so my blog is virtual-blog.com 
Um, it's been. I started it just before I joined VMware, um, and I basically try and cover uh, mainly. I've been covering all the the vCloud products um, and just been trying to blog about the stuff that I've been learning while I've been at VMware. So, how many people do you think will actually type in the word hyphen when they when they when they hear that yeah. URL? <laughs> so, uh, it's probably virtual blog dot com. <laughs> I was once teaching. I was once teaching a uh, somebody, and I said uh, to them, "Save save this file as sales underscore five. and they literally typed in the word underscore as a word I was like no <laughs> oh dear we've got a problem here yeah I've had that a couple of times but um, it's dash however people say it I'm not sure <laughs> well I mean rtfm-ed.co.uk I only had that because I couldn't get rtfm.co.uk because it was already registered by real-time financial management systems who didn't know what rtfm really stood for but what I was going to say is what I found with vCloud Director, I think this happened a couple of months ago. I think I spent all week just in vCloud Director, and I realized at the end of the week, I hadn't actually logged in to Virtual Center for the entire week. Yeah. And is that kind of level of immersion in something that once you're in it, it becomes your world? Yeah, yeah. The Virtual Center world didn't really exist for me anymore. And you get that a little bit when you immerse yourself in VMware View or you immerse yourself in SRM. But there's still an element of being more intimately connected with the vSphere level than you are once you're in vCloud Director because it's a world of its own. And yeah. I thought this is really, really good because that's the kind of immersion I need to get into where um, I need to change something and I'm already clicking, going through the right levels. Just that kind of familiarity with the technology that it just seems second nature where to find things. Although initially, when you're first learning something, it's like, mm, where did I configure that pool thing? You know, yeah. it's like anything. Familiarity doesn't necessarily breed contempt. It breeds ease of use and being able to find things and dive in and out and maybe go a quicker way to find something than anything else. But I also got the feeling that I was living in a different kind of world. The difficulty I have is I don't have a gazillion virtual centers and a gazillion of clusters. I've just got one virtual center and a couple of clusters. So there's yeah. there's quite an intimate relationship between the two than perhaps in a larger environment would have. Yeah, so if, if look, while we're talking about the architecture, one of the things that we've put together, I've um, been one of the document leads on the vCloud architecture toolkit. All right. Um, and we kind of, the what, sorry? I said, I said oh yes. <laughs> A bit of a delay now yeah. in our Skype. <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, yeah a bit of a delay there. <laughs> um, so yeah, what what we tried to do originally, um, quite a few years ago, was to put together an architecture document that would help people understand how to to build and design your environment. Because it's not one of the things that people kind of didn't realise at first was taking into consideration how you put together your pools of compute and and your storage and things. So what we tried to do was make it easier for people to understand the differences between just a traditional virtual environment and um, a vCloud or a cloud environment. So when you look at um, vCat, you'll see that we tend to split things off into different kind of silos or groups. So you'll have... Um, your your management 
cluster and your management group where you run or your VMs that provide the cloud infrastructure. So you'll have like your databases, your VCD cells, um, your vShield manager all running in this cluster. And then in a completely separate vCenter environment, you'll have the resource groups where you put all your compute and storage for the actual cloud environment. So the, there's a few reasons why we looked at keeping that separate. Um, one is from an administration boundary. Um, people who understand vSphere may not necessarily understand vCloud. And they may go in and think, oh, I'll just change this VM over here or I'll, I'll turn off um, DRS, for example, um, because there's a problem with one of the agents. Now, that can have a major impact on, on vCloud Director. Um, so the first thing is to think of it as an administration boundary, but then also you need to start looking at resource contention. And, and if you start running VMs that are outside of vCloud Director in a cluster that's managed by vCloud Director, how do those resources get allocated? You know, so um, there's there's lots of different reasons. I if you look in the the vCloud Architecture Toolkit, there's a whole section on the justifications around um, splitting out these these two different groups. Sure. Um, Perhaps that leads me that leads me on to another question, which is kind of an architecture one, which is. Um, the provider VDC in yeah. in vCloud Director one point zero and one one point five, the provider VDC could only contain one cluster. And correct me if I'm wrong here. The provider VDC in five point one and higher can now have many clusters in. Yeah, as as if thirty two ESX hosts in a cluster all maxed out with a terabyte of memory isn't enough for you. You need more than one cluster. Uh, to add in your provider VDC. So I wanted to know what sort of logic was used when you when a VM was or a VApp was created, which cluster it ended up on because in the world of vCloud Director you just see the provider VDC. You don't, as you said, the abstraction is such that you don't actually get to select which cluster it's on. Um, yeah. I know that's probably an unfair question because people listening in might not be very familiar with what a provider VDC is. So in with the willingness not to assume too much knowledge, can you say what a provider VDC is? Maybe why this change was made, and you know what's the logic that controls the placement of the the VM? Yeah, so a, a provider VDC is um, a pool of compute um, and, and storage resources. That, if you imagine um, traditionally and typically, we map it back to a vSphere cluster. So in the 1.0 and 1.5 days, because we couldn't do storage tiering, what we used to do was you would allocate um, a provider VDC a certain type of storage. So say um, SSDs, you would give them all, this one cluster access to all the SSDs. And you would create that as a gold provider VDC. Um, so you'd have a particular type of um, CPU and, and, and memory is always not irrelevant, but you basically just give it as much memory as you need, and then you would have a um, the, t the type of storage that you need, and then you would split that out into, say, gold, silver, and bronze, where bronze could be your SATA storage, um, so your low-cost, um, not-so-great performance storage. And what you would do with a provider VDC, once you have these um, pools of compute created, you then... Um, 
allocate these out to what's called organization VDCs. So an organization VDC is a subset of the resources available from a provider VDC. Now, um, it's kind of easier to show it on a whiteboard because you can, you can show where it carves out. And um, if anybody's interested, I wrote um, a four-part articles on my blog site on the vCloud Director 101. And I cover how provider VDCs and org VDCs and how they all fit together and, and um, you allocate the storage and everything out of there. Mm-hmm. Now, going back to your original question with 5.1, um, we now have what's called elastic VDCs. So you create your allocation model based on your um, direct cluster mapping for that provider VDC. So it could be pay-as-you-go allocation model or something like that, for example. Um, now, if you build that cluster out and you want to add more resources, um, there's a couple of options. Obviously, you can add more hosts into that cluster. Or if you want to start adding like, different data stores and split it out into different clusters, um, you can then add these extra clusters into the provider VDC by using Elastic VDC. So in a sense, you can have two or three different clusters mapped to a provider VDC. Now, for placement, what typically happens, um, and I can't be quoted 100% on this because I've never managed to max it out in my lab yet, but traditionally what will happen is the VM will be placed on the primary cluster that you've allocated to that provider VDC. And then as and when resources are being used and vCloud Director will look at the resources and what allocations used within, depending on the type of allocation model, it will then make a decision based on how much resources you have available and capacity available, and then if needed, distribute those on the other clusters. So from an architecture perspective, you need to um, obviously be able to assign the data stores to that provider VDC and it needs to to understand where all your resources are. So um, what we used to say, and it's all changed now with 5.1, is um, you always have a cluster, never mix your different types of storage within that cluster because vCloud Director would allocate virtual machines on a least used basis across your data stores. So you could never say to it, right, here's a SATA and here's an SSD. It would just stick it on whichever one had the most free space. Um, so storage tiering was kind of out of the question. Now what we've done with storage introducing support for storage profiles is you can actually create different tiers of storage within a provider VDC. Um, so you'll notice anyone who's actually used vCloud Director between 1.5 and 5.1 is you now can select a different type of storage when you're deploying your VM. So you can actually select from a drop-down list um, gold or bronze or however you want to do it. So that's the other reason why um, when you look at Elastic VDCs, you have the ability to add extra clusters because typically with a vSphere design, you wouldn't always have different types of storage allocated to clusters. So you can do it by add- allocating your storage and your clusters and, and adding them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it allows you to pull multiple pool, sorry, multiple resources together. It sounds like, I mean, obviously the vCloud Director is evolving as a, a technology and 
we we've got a difference there with uh, the storage tiering that can now be done. And uh, it was interesting you mentioned the 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 um, architecture toolkit, which yeah. I see as a kind of representation of like kind of best practices or design principles. Do you see? Um, I mean, there's there's been a recent iteration of um, of the toolkit just in the last couple of days, as I remember, three point one, whereas it was three point zero before. Um, but do you see these best practices evolving and changing over time, and have they indeed evolved and changed from the the toolkit from two to three, and then three to one because of those changes? Yeah, definitely. So. Um if you look at the the, the VCAP 1.0, um, a lot of the stuff within there has changed a lot. Um, we we originally developed this um, reference architecture and, and then grew it as a toolkit from our experiences of when we were deploying vCloud out to 1.0, mainly in service providers. Um, we spent a lot of time as a global team trying to, to work out how best to deploy this product. We all knew what the purpose of the product was, but that doesn't mean to say you know how the best ways to deploy it are. Mm. Um, so we've, we've evolved this um, over time, and basically it, it does evolve, and the design practices do change as new features are introduced. Um, as I mentioned earlier, with 1.0 and 1.5, you couldn't do storage theory. So it was always a case of you have to split everything out per cluster and per provider VDC level, whereas now that's not applicable. So it, 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 we don't need to worry about that anymore. So we, we went through and we assessed what, what changes were in the new products, and then we updated the, the toolkit to go along with those changes as well because... With storage tiering, you don't need to worry about allocating, splitting them out into different provider VDCs now. You can just bundle it all together. Um, also, the, a document, one of the documents that I own, which is implementation examples, we give a full list with screenshots, and it's basically a how-to guide to go and deploy and do certain administrative tasks within vCloud Director. Um, one of the reasons why we included this document was a lot of people were saying, yeah, great, okay, so we understand the architecture. How do we actually do it? What are the steps, the point and click? Um, so we create a thorough implementation guide as well that shows you how to go and build the environment and how to, um, for example, put in your own um, signed certificates rather than using self-signed things that aren't covered in the installation or administration guide. And of course, with, with the new versions, that changes as well. So it's always a, um ongoing task keeping the toolkit and the reference architectures up to date and current and relevant to, to the new products. It's funny that you say that because I've been asking people the rhetorical question about best practices. Where, where do they come from? Are they forged in the white heat of experience in the real world or are they formed off the back of a beta program or off the back of a certain set of features that a product can, can do and therefore the best practice maps to those features? And I guess from what you're saying, the answer is a combination of both because those best practices and the, the toolkit came from actually deploying the product for service providers 
but at the same time, the product's being developed and improved at the same time. So the answer is, it's really a combination of, of both if it's done properly. I guess if it's not done yeah. properly, it's just based on feature spec and that this is a new feature and this is how it's used, as opposed to how it's used in the real world, as, uh, as they're saying. But yeah, it's interesting that how this the uh, the toolkit came from was from genuine in-field experience as opposed to a big list of best practices that somebody sat in a, a team of people in white coats decided about in a, in a vacuum somewhere. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, because it was mainly created. Um, so as a team, we were we had like we we covered the whole globe um, in the early days. Um, there was quite a few of us in EMEA, um, obviously quite a few of us in America, and then there was a couple of us out in in, in Asia as well. And we all needed to come together with a common way of deploying this product. We all had our own ideas, but in the real world, once you start deploying these in anger, you know, things go wrong and things happen and things don't happen according to plan. So we initially started putting it together just as internal reference and then to obviously help the field as well when they took up the deployment of this product and, and to grow it. And it's kind of progressed from there. So John Arasid, who's the lead of the VCAP, he, he owns the whole project. And just if you talk to him, he, it's amazing how things have changed from the old 1.0 days to 5.1. And the fundamental thing with with vCloud, and when you're certainly designing the environment, is you always need to understand the vSphere layer. If you don't design the vSphere infrastructure correctly, then your cloud's not going to work correctly. Doesn't matter what you do with vCloud Director, if the virtualization layer, which underpins everything that we do, is wrong, then it's never going to work properly. Mm. So you always have to start from the ground up. Now, people have been deploying vSphere for years, um, and certainly ESX and vCenter and everything like that, but there's some fundamental differences that you need to consider when you're looking at vCloud Director and, and the vCloud suite. So we, we try to address those and... and the thing that people need to remember as well, we, we've had a few cases of people saying, well, we, we deployed our cloud following VCAT, but it doesn't work as expected. But it's, it's, it's a guideline. It's not a Bible. Um, and with, with the, the greatest will in the world, every customer is different. Life would be really easy if all the customers had the same requirements and everything just worked the same, but it, it, it's not quite like that. So... You need to look at the reference architecture and the v and, and the toolkit and basically take what you need from it and decide what's relevant to the environment that you're trying to build. Mm. And and that's what we've tried to do is put together guidelines rather than a, a bullet point, you must do this, this, this and this. It's a set of guidelines. It's funny how the term best practices has become so abused and misused in our industry because it seems to be abused and misused both by customers and by ISVs. Because yeah. I've come across customers who've gone, but we followed best practices. And I've said to them, yeah, that's a best practice, but it, it doesn't apply in your case. Are we saying that a best practice is a best practice and therefore you can just sort of flip open the top of your head, lift out your frontal lobes, and no longer think anymore. 
but it's sometimes I've discovered this is when I was a, uh, an instructor it's sometimes used as a kind of protection oh well we followed all the best practices yeah, yeah. so so therefore we're okay therefore if there's a problem it's it's somebody else's problem and then similarly when I used to work with some ISVs they used to say well have you followed the best practices and I'd be like well no I didn't follow that best practice because it it wasn't relevant to my environment. But the vendor goes, ah, well, you've not followed our best practices. And like, oh, both sides, if you like, can sometimes game the term best practices when it when it suits them. And I think we all collectively have to take kind of responsibility for the decisions we make rather than hide behind the best practice kind of excuse because it has become a little bit of a, a cover your, your butt kind of thing to say, you know. Yeah, and... Um... We're actually trying to change the term best practice, certainly in VMware, and, and try and change it more along to people think of it as a design guideline. Mm. You know, because then people people don't automatically just assume it's correct. You know, um, any best practice or recommendation, it, it, it's just purely that, it's a recommendation mm. based on um, best case scenario and, and not every environment fits those specifics mm. so if you if you know um, I, I'm not a VCDX but the VCDX is always say when you talk to them that if you can justify the reason why you haven't followed that guideline or best practice then there's no reason that you have to follow that best practice if that makes sense you know it's it's a case of if you if I can't I'm trying to think of an example but I can't think of one but you know if 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 you have a genuine reason for not doing something and it works for you, then that's great. You know, that's brilliant. You don't have to follow everything that's written in the manuals or written in stone. And um, I, I think I think a lot of people are now starting to realise that, and, and certainly with these more complex environments, they're starting to find more issues and coming across things that don't quite fit. And they're going, well, you know, we're going to do it this way and and here's the reasons why and we're aware it may be a risk, but we need to do it this way for our environment. And yeah. it, so, so let me ask you a kind of wrap-up question, which is what are you working on currently? Remember, you can't talk futures. <laughs> and <laughs> what keeps you awake at night with just generally, I mean, essentially about work, not other things, you know, but vCloud Director might be one of those things. I, I sometimes find myself awake at three o'clock in the morning, can't sleep, and it's because my brain is still thinking about stuff that I was doing at work. I mean, some people might say I should get a life, but, you know, I quite enjoy my work being that interesting. I'm still thinking about it when I should be unconscious. So what, what are you working on currently and what, what sort of things are, you know, dominating your thoughts or making you think creatively? Yeah, so um, I'm currently working on, I'm doing a lot of work with the vCloud Automation Center. Okay. Uh, we just released the latest version that has vCloud Director integration. Um, and I've been working on looking at how we can actually, it, it integrates, but um, obviously it's the first release of this integration. So um, I've been looking at how we can actually get these products to work together trying to put together some kind of, um, as we've just been saying, design guidelines, um, <laughs> how the products can fit together, and, and just trying to, to understand um, the best way that we should deploy these products together. Um, 
I've also um, been spending a lot of time working on the vCloud networking and security. Um, I did uh, a boot camp last, a couple of weeks ago, and we covered a lot of the stuff with, with the Edge and app and, and how the best ways to deploy these and, and what, what ways is there that we can use these products outside of vCloud Director. Everybody knows that you can spin up vShield Edge, vCloud Network and the Security Edge now it is, not vShield, um, very easily through vCloud Director. Um, but how do you go about doing this through just directly through the vCNS manager? Um, and to touch on your point, what keeps me awake at night? Um, nothing really keeps me awake at night anymore. Um, but certainly one of the things that I'm finding really, really interesting and I think um, is going to be a big thing for the future is um, the old mantle of the software-defined data center, but mainly network virtualization. Mm. Um, I've spent a bit of time with some of my colleagues who've been working with NICERA and the NBP acquisition. Um, and that product's really cool. Um, it... What I've been learning about how you can basically get away from your your layer two boundaries of four thousand and ninety six VLANs, and to me, it's it's a bit more of an extension of VXLAN, um, and it allows you to to go data center wide. And I think um, to me, that's really exciting to be able to do what we we've done as a company for server virtualization to be able to look forward and do that with networking virtualization. I think um, I'm not a networking guy. I've been traditionally infrastructure. Um, I understand layer two and layer three, and, and that's about as far as I go. But to see what we can do with these products going forward, it, it, I, I think we're in for another exciting time, and I'm certainly looking forward to trying to get involved with that. And um, I just don't know how we're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, um, talking to a, a customer the other day, and they were saying, um, we're talking about vCloud Director, and they were saying, well, what about Nicira? What about Nicira? And I said, well, you know, hang on for that for a second. Let's deal with what we have available for you to use today, um, yeah. all in good time. You know, they had other challenges which were much bigger than whether they should use VXLAN or NICIR or vCloud Director network you know, isolation. You know, they didn't even have a common version of vSphere in, in their environment. And I don't mean version 4 or version 5. They were all version 5, but they had a bit of standard, a bit of enterprise, a bit of advanced, you know. <laughs> and it's like it's going to be really difficult trying to get all your ducks in a row when really it's enterprise. Plus, you should be looking at across the board for, for building your cloud on. So they were like trying to run away uh, in front of themselves a little bit and I said you know all in good time will this nice era thing come to you you know you know, focus on your immediate yeah. challenges and your immediate issues if you want vCloud Director in by the end of you know the year as it was then this quarter as it is now but um, I, I have this idea that the software defined networking thing is going to be lots of different flavors of it and I think different customers will look at different requirements for each of the different types and then pick one not based on best practice but what suits their environment and what they can get approval for it's not like there's going to be a single software defined networking because there's already two or three different ways of us doing it already and i think maybe customers will have to look at the requirements of each and then work out which one fits best with their environment is that is that something you see or is it 
Is it going to be different? Do you think? No, I I I think um, that, that's a great way to look at it. Um, you know, we were we were talking earlier about design guidelines and everything, and and it's not one solution fits all. You know, um, we obviously have different networking technologies now with VXLAN and VCDNI and and NVP coming along and. There is. It, people are going to have to seriously look at what what they need, rather than oh, this looks really cool and, and it's got all the latest bells and whistles, you know. Um, but it's like everything. There's a kind of oh, I'm going to sound like a marketing guy again. There's a journey to take. You oh, know? No, no, not the journey. <laughs> but yeah, but but it is quite true, you know. Like I remember starting working with VMware back in. 2004, um, I was doing a, a project with Accenture and the NHS up in Leeds, mm. and um, we were building loads of Citrix environments, um, but everyone was like, oh, we need to get it in the labs. VMware was everywhere in our lab, but nowhere near production. Mm. You know, Nobody would dream of deploying virtual machines in production back in 2003, 2004, but now you look where it is, it's mm. like everybody... The thought of people not deploying it in production, they're like, you know, it's just un unheard of now. Everyone's like, yeah, we'll just deploy it. It's reliable. And I think um, we're seeing that kind of tradition with cloud as well. You know, people are looking at it originally with, um, like, development environments. How can we make things easier for our development environments and our developers to deploy things and then they're kind of going do you know what this is will actually fit our use cases for production mm. and I think it's going to be the same with the whole network and storage virtualization um, in, in a few years we're, we're obviously in VMware we get to see it all firsthand what they're working on um, and then sort of the outer field and the customers and partners and people all get to see it in a few years and start adopting a few years later. Um, and and it is, it's going to take a while, I think, and people are going to look at these and then decide, yeah, this is great for our development environments and it's actually going to work brilliantly for our use cases going forward and then it'll start getting deployed in production. And, and we're seeing that with cloud now. People from a cloud perspective, service providers are very quick to jump on the bandwagon, but enterprises weren't so keen to just start deploying private clouds because we launched vCloud Director 1.0. Now we're at version 5.1 and the product's more mature. We're seeing lots and lots more enterprises seeing the benefits for their um, production environments and are starting to do more and more deployments. Mm. And it's always that that good old marketing slide where you see the curve and it goes and you start here and you grow and you know and but to be honest it's quite true and um, I think for the next probably four or five years um, certainly with, with storage virtualization coming out now and the big vendors looking at that I think I think as infrastructure guys and virtualization admins we're in for a, a very interesting and exciting few years where a lot of us are going to be outside of our comfort zones, to be honest. So it um, be pretty cool. 
Well, with that prospect, exciting prospect, I think it's time for us to wrap up. David, your your enthusiasm is infectious as ever, but thank you very much for being on the, the chinwag, and I'm sure we'll have you back again, maybe in a couple of years' time when we're all through with that journey and starting on a new one. Yeah, whatever the next one is. <laughs> Hopefully I can predict it. <laughs> well, you know, if you can predict the future, you're, you're uh, you know, got more wisdom than I have. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Mike.